This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a resource, an ebook called Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. That's kind of a mouthful, but there you go. Multiply Disciples draws wisdom from church history to look at several important disciple-making movements in history, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting in Asbury Theological Seminary, and his ebook is available for free, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Or you can click on the link in the show notes to find it quickly. Today we're featuring an episode from Impact Discipleship Ministries, and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called How to Make Movements of Multiplying Disciples. The episode for today is called The Making of a Disciple Making Pastor, featuring Mike Keaton and Glenn Underhill. Well, good morning and glad you are here. Welcome to our breakout called Disciple Making, The Disciple Making Pastor. And uh, we'll jump right in and uh, I'm sure we'll have some other folks coming in. How's the, how's the morning been so far for you? Awesome. Yeah, good. Uh, conference has been good, I hope, as well. Getting a lot of good nuggets and things to put back in your arsenal, take back with you to your context and apply. That's awesome. So uh, my name is Mike Keaton, and um, this is the uh, seminar or breakout called uh, The Making of a Disciple-Making Pastor. And so just a little bit of a story, uh, background a little bit, to kind of give you an idea of uh, some of our context and frame of reference. Uh, I am from Crossroads Church, and we are in Noonan, Georgia, which is uh, about 25 minutes south of the Atlanta airport, down 85. And um, so our church has been there about 30 years. Our lead pastor is Ken Adams. Uh, He's the one who has uh, started Impact Discipleship Ministries, and uh, he would be here, except right now, as we're speaking, uh, I believe he is in the air on his way to Thailand to do an impact training over there. And so uh, Glenn and myself, if you were in the, next, the last breakout, uh, or if you've met Glenn in one of the other breakouts here, uh, he was doing the, the disciple-making church. And uh, so we're going to be talking about the disciple-making pastor. And uh, so it's, uh, it's a great honor and privilege to be able to stand in front of you and share some of our learnings and uh, just a little bit of information about me. Uh, I've been at Crossroads or part of Crossroads' ministry for about 16 years or so. Uh, we have been on the staff directly these last five years. Prior to that, my wife and I started one of the Crossroads churches, and we led that for about 11 years, and then just recently, well, five years ago, joined the team at Crossroads. And so uh, here's my family, just to give you a picture there of us. Uh, these are my kids and their spouses and my daughter. Uh, these two are my daughters here. And there's my son, my wife, and their, uh, their spouses. So these guys are awesome. Very proud of them. But I'm especially proud of these two guys right here. Absolutely. So we have two grandchildren. Uh, Judah on the left there. He's a year old. 
And then my son just and his wife had Levi this past Sunday. So he's a brand new one, and uh, I'm missing them terribly, but I'm looking forward to getting back and seeing them. So, uh, if you've, uh, you know, I, people kept telling us all the time how great grandkids were. Uh, we had no idea how great they are. In fact, I tell everybody, I love these guys right here so much, I'm not even sure I like my own kids anymore. Okay? <laughs> we showed up at a lunch the other day, and uh, we were meet, getting together with the kids, and Judah was sitting there, and I just walked up, started loving all over him, and and um, my, my kids are sitting there, what are we, you know? You didn't even say hi. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's really just amazing. But uh, so that's just a little bit about our family um, and uh, that we are at Crossroads Church and have been part of that ministry for a while. It's so awesome uh, to be a part of a ministry that is about um, making disciples. And uh, so that's what we want to talk about today is how do we lead that uh, from uh, being the lead pastor role or in any other kind of uh, role that you might find yourself in in a church. So, so the, the disciple-making pastor. Now, this is a I, I, this is a very exciting topic for me for for a couple of reasons. One uh, is because I mean I am a pastor. Uh, I've been a lead pastor before as well, and I'm a pastor on a church staff and uh, trying to lead a disciple-making strategy in all our demographics, all our children's middle school, high school, young adults, adult ministries, and uh, I'm trying to lead that. So it's certainly I, I I love this topic because it applies to me. Right, so it does. I'm not speaking as one as a theorist, you know, just up here talking about theory. Uh, we will talk about that, but I'm also a practitioner and trying to apply it and put it into place. And you know, here's the deal: when you think about pastors, if if pastors are not going to lead the church to fulfill the Great Commission, who will? Right. And so it's got to happen. It actually may not happen. If, if, if a pastor does not. And so, so that's one reason why I love it. Uh, another reason why I love it is because the truth of the matter is becoming a disciple-making pastor is not automatic. It just does not happen automatically. Uh, I'll never forget when I started off in pastoral ministry. Um, you know, I was probably like a lot of other pastors are. Maybe some of you, uh, you know, in fact, I was talking to a church last night. We went out to dinner with this church last night, and, and, and the pastor there was saying, you know, man, for the first, he's been there 20 years. He said, probably for the first 15 years. He said, I've had my head down trying to figure out how to just make this church function, you know. And I think I mean, when you think about that and then moving into more of a role of how do we lead the church to become a disciple-making church, I mean, it's not automatic, it just does not automatically happen. In fact, what we need is someone to, to teach us uh, how to do that. And, uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, I mean, unfortunately, many of the models that we follow uh, in terms of church models, because everybody wants a model, right? We all want to know, what does it look like? Uh, in fact, we had the, the breakout last hour, uh, the disciple-making church, and uh, lots of questions. Hey, well, what does it look like for this? What does it look like for that? We all want models. Because we want to see it, right? We want to kind of get a vision for it. Um, uh, well, you know, it's partly one of the reasons why we have pastors not leading churches into disciple-making and why we don't have disciple-making pastors because a lot of the models aren't disciple-making models. Uh, in fact, a lot of them are just, hey, this is what's working over here. This is what's working over there. That church grew because of they did it. And then we all become church growth you know, fanatics. And so instead of disciple-making pastors, so that's one reason. Another reason is, is because a lot of our training that we've had, like officially, if we go to seminary or Bible college or, or any of those kind of things, I mean, a lot of it is not geared towards disciple-making and leading that kind of effort in a local congregation. And so that's what makes conferences like this so great, 
is, is we're able to, to learn. And so I, I say that to say, and also, you know, just really kind of acknowledge that I don't stand up here as one to say, here's the model. I'm going to teach you how to do it. Uh, I'm going to train you how, I mean, look, um, it's not us. It's not Crossroads. It's not me. It, our model, uh, thankfully, our model is Jesus. And, and Jesus is the one who trains us as we look to him and see how he did it and what he did. I'll never forget when I first met our, our pastor, Pastor Ken. I was working on my uh, degree. He was teaching a class uh, at a Bible college on discipleship and, um, and a lot of the stuff he was sharing. And I, you know, I'll just never forget, I will never forget coming to the realization that Jesus just wasn't making it up as he went. <laughs> That he, he wasn't winging it, in other words. I mean, he had a plan, and, and he was working that plan. We're going to talk about that. Um, so those things were very freeing. Uh, so Jesus is our model, and, uh, and he is our blueprint, and he is our trainer. And as we know, and, and, and how he has told us in Matthew 16, 18, very familiar with this verse, I'm sure, where he's talking to Peter, and he said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, well, how's it go? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we can talk about that verse all morning. There's a lot of things we can learn from. We can learn at least two things from that verse. One is that the church belongs to who? Jesus. Jesus, right? And I know in conversations, you probably have had it already this morning, if not all, all week while we've been here, is, well, my church, our church, like we use that, and it's kind of possessive sounding, but we, we also need to make sure we have this understanding that it's not our church. This is Jesus' church, Right? And it's been entrusted to us. You know, we've been called to lead it. And, uh, and so it's, it's a stewardship issue for us. And so it's his church. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is that, that he wants it the way he built it, right? I mean, he, he's, I, I will build my church. It's his church, and he wants it the way he wants it to be built. And so I, I've heard our pastor say 17 times how many, uh, this little phrase of um, Jesus uh, started his church the way he wants it. Now he wants it the way he started it. And, uh, and so that, th those are some things that we can learn from that little statement there uh, that Jesus uh, gave in Matthew 16, 18. So, so what we want to do right here in this little time that we have is just get a real big picture of um, uh, six priorities from the life of Christ that will help us become a disciple-making pastor. And so uh, we'll just jump right in. And here's the first one. The first one is priority one, the disciple-making pastor leads toward the mission. Now, talk about leading towards the mission. You know, there's a lot of good leaders out there. Uh, a lot of good leaders right here in this room. There's a lot of good leaders um, in, in this conference. There's a lot of good leaders across the world. I mean, you can be a good leader and also be leading in the wrong direction, right? I mean, how many how many times have you you've been on an airplane, you, you get up there and you heard a pilot, you know, he comes over and he says, hello, this is your pilot speaking. And, uh, and he'll come up and he'll say, we're, we finally reached our cruising altitude of 30,000 feet, and we're, we're moving at 550 miles per hour. And uh, uh, the bad news, we ha I have some bad news and some good news to share with you. The, the, the bad news is, is that we've, we've, we've lost uh, our navigation system. Uh, the good news is, is we're making really good time, okay? So a lot of times that's how we are in church leadership. Like we can be a good leader, but we could be leading in the wrong direction. And the truth of the matter is, when we talk about a disciple-making pastor who leads towards mission, if you're not leading the church to fulfill the mission, 
then you're going in the wrong direction. Or maybe you're flying without a navigation system. You may be making great time, but you're not really heading in the direction that you need to know. So what we need to know is what the mission is. And Jesus, again, is our model for this. Jesus knew exactly what the mission was, and he never once, he never once got off track with it, which is, that's kind of the amazing part, because we might start off on the right mission and then get distracted, and so we'll talk about that later, but, um, but he knew what his mission was, and he never uh, wavered from it. Uh, in fact, Jesus did the very thing that he told us to do. I love the way they're saying it at the conference, um, the final command is our first priority. Uh, I think that's awesome, the way that gets categorized. Um, but he actually did it. You know, he modeled for us and for his disciples and for us what that was. And so, as, as you know, um, the scripture Matthew 20, 19 20, through 20, it's been uh, talked about and quoted uh, so many times while we've been here at the conference. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission, plain and simple. And so if we were to break the mission down to one word or one idea, what would it be? Make. Make. Who said that? Make. Make, specifically what? Disciples, right? So in, in the English, it's two words. In the Greek, it's one, okay? So one idea, make disciples. And he gave us a real simple three-step strategy on how to do it. What are the three steps in the verse? First one is go. Go. Second one is baptizing. Third one is teaching. That is the mission. It's plain and simple. Go is literally, if we were to read it, it would say, as you're going, make disciples. So as you're going, it's actually, actually in Greek, all these are parsimals. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And basically to describe the action of the verb, describe the making of disciples. And so it's as you go. And so that means... That as you go where? Wherever you go, right? As you go to the store, as you go to the gas station, as you go where to work, as you go, as you go, make disciples. So what's that sound like to you and me? What what, what is that? It's a lifestyle of what of evangelism, right? Of sharing our faith. And so when we talk about you know being evangelistic, it's right there, right? But is that all we're supposed to do? No. The Great Commission. Uh, has three steps, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptizing them. So do you think that's literally speaking about putting them under the water? Or baptizing them with water? Water baptism? It is part of it. Absolutely it's part of it. But it's also an identification issue. That Because when, when you think about what baptism is, right? When, when someone's getting baptized, they're going public with their faith, letting everybody know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. So they're identifying themselves as a follower of Jesus. And so what he's saying is, Go, as you go, evangelize, share the gospel, tell people about Jesus, lead people to Jesus. Then what are you supposed to do? Tell them, hey man, have a nice life. So glad you're a Christian now. Right? they got to belong, right? So you want to get them into identifying with the body, right? With the bride that they now are part of the family. Okay? Um, I was in a breakout yesterday, uh, one of the next-gen breakouts. I don't know if anybody went to that or not. But uh, the, the guy who was speaking, he kept talking to the, the group that was in the breakout. He kept calling them family. He would say, okay, fam. You know, okay, fam. And it was just kind of unique, you know, to, to think. that. But that's what we are, right? We're the body. We're the bride. We're the family. And then the last thing is, 
is to do what? To teach them. Teach them what? Observe. Or observe how much? All. All. Okay. So has anybody in the room already got it figured all out? No, right? So does this sound like something you're going to do in 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, 3 years? No, it's a lifetime, isn't it? You're going to teach them to observe or to what? Obey. Obey. And so I love the, the things that they're sharing with us about obedience-based discipleship. So powerful. So that is the mission. And so if we are going to be disciple-making pastors, disciple-making leaders, then we have to know without, I mean, there has to be no hesitation on what is the mission. The mission is to make disciples. Go, baptize, and teach. That's it. That's the mission. That's what we're supposed to do. That is it. It's simple, right? It's just not easy, is it? No. So, so we talk about Jesus being the model. So Jesus, um, he, he, this is what, now keep in mind that this is 2,000 years ago. Um, he knew what the mission was. He knew how to go about it, and he knew where it was. And this is all from the verse. So he led the movement with a mission to make fully trained disciples. That was the what. The how was his strategy. I mean, he did it by going, baptizing, and teaching, everything we just talked about. And he did it, and, and, and it was like he knew where. Where was his focus? All nations, like the whole world, right? And so this is, uh, this is how Jesus models for us uh, and teaches us how to lead toward the mission. Now, pastors are called to lead their congregations. Specifically, we're called to lead our congregations toward the mission, right? That's the first priority, is to lead towards the mission. And so the question I have is, if pastors don't do, do it, who will? This is probably a good reason why parachurch organizations pop up. Um, this may be very good reasons why a lot of discipleship, uh, you know, uh, nonprofits and that sort of thing, uh, parachurch stuff pops up. Uh, because maybe the church, the local congregation, is actually not fulfilling the Great Commission. So I'm part of a disciple-making pastors equipping group. I'll tell you about that hopefully at the end. Uh, if I forget, please remind me. But we do these equipping groups. They're, they're online. They're Zoom, Zoom coaching calls. And uh, so I'm in one with about six other guys. And, and one of those guys is an associational missionary in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he oversees, um, he oversees I think, 46 different churches and pastors. That's a lot. I can't imagine. So we were talking about this very point, you know, how do we lead toward the mission? And the question was asked, how many of the 46 are actually leading towards a disciple-making mission? He said, oh, I thought for just a second, he said, probably about three. Three out of 46, and that's just one. Think about all those that are across the whole state and North America and really even the world. Our pastor's actually leading towards the mission. And as a disciple-making uh, pastor, our job is to keep the people's eyes on the mission. Like, who wants to be, who wants to be the pastor that actually is known for not leading the church towards the mission, right? Like, we don't want that, do we? So, um, anybody had an eye exam recently? I did. I had one just uh, back in September. And... Um, you know the drill, right? You've been there. You've had that done. Anybody not have one of those? You don't know what they do. So you go in there. You know the drill, right? You sit down in the chair. They dark the room out. They put this weird apparatus in front of your face. And it's all computerized now, which is kind of cool. 
Uh, and then they, they just start asking you a whole bunch of questions, right? And they put all these letters and numbers up and, and they say, okay, does this look better? Or, or does this look better? Uh, is this look better? Or does this look better? And you just go through this entire process, right? And then they finally come to a point where they say, okay, here's what your vision is. Now, here's the question. Does that doctor, so I went to back in September and, uh, and I had this exam. And, uh, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, is I don't remember the doctor doing anything to my eyes other than dilating them. <laughs> okay. So did the doctor give you a new vision? No, she didn't give me new vision either. But what did she do? What do they do? They correct your vision, don't they? They correct it. They don't give you a new vision. And so the point with that is just simply this. As disciple-making pastors, pastors in general, we don't need a new vision. We just need the vision corrected, okay? So that we can be the pastors who actually lead the church toward that mission, toward that vision. Make sense? So here's a great question. How can you be a uh, how can you better should be better motivate your people, the people in your church, the people underneath your stewardship to the mission? That's just a good evaluative question, a thought for you to something for you to think about. How can you better lead your church and the people underneath your stewardship toward the mission? So that's the first uh, priority. Let's talk about the second one. The second priority of the disciple-making pastor is that he leads themselves first. So they lead self first. The disciple-making pastor leads self first. So what we're talking about here is actually self-leadership. Just self-leadership, plain and simple. Now, I heard this said yesterday. Uh, I believe they said it on the main stage. Uh, it's just a general overall leadership principle. We can't lead people or anyone any further than we are, correct? Everybody agree with that leadership principle? It's just a generalized leadership principle. Can't lead any further than you are ahead. Now, let's just lay that uh, underneath the, the filter of disciple-making. You can't lead a church to be a disciple-making church if you, as the pastor, aren't disciple-making yourself. All right, so you have to lead yourself in the same thing to be a disciple maker. See, Jesus never asked his disciples to be or to do something that he wasn't being himself. I think that's evidenced in this scripture references, uh, scripture reference, Luke six forty. Disciple is not above his teacher, but when everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So the teacher sets the pace. The teacher, the leader, sets the, the, the pace. You know, speed of the leader, speed of the what? Pack. Pack, team. Speed of leader, speed of team. So you have to set the pace for that. And Jesus is our teacher of becoming the disciple, uh, and, and which means that you and I are to follow his method or his, his model. So he gave them a blueprint. He gave them who he wanted to be, who he wanted them to be, and he also gave them what he wanted them to do. He was a model for them. So Paul said this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Now this is a, I don't know about y'all, When I, this verse has always messed with me. I've always thought, you know, when I first started reading this and trying to think through this and hearing this, I was like, man, sure did sound arrogant of Paul, you know. But I mean, just think about what he's saying. 
Follow me as I follow Christ. He's basically saying the same thing that we're saying. A disciple-making pastor leads self first. You have to be something before you can do something. And, and, and so he says this. And so here's, you know, so here's a question. Can you say this to your people? I mean, Paul felt pretty confident to say it. He's following Christ, of how Christ is trying to be something, but also trying to do something. And so when you think about people following you, <laughs> man, this is such a... You, you ever had somebody following you in a car? And maybe there's three or four cars following you. You ever had that it's a scenario where you're, you know, trying to... And you're not 100% sure where you're going, or maybe you're, you're, you're turned around a little bit, and... You know, and you're not really sure where you're headed. And so you, you pull over and then everybody pulls over behind you, you know, and then you got to do a U-turn. So you do a U-turn and then everybody's got to make a U-turn with you. And as you're turning and you're driving back by them, you're waving at them, they're waving at you. And it's like the, the blind leading the blind, right? Don't you hate that experience? That's the most miserable thing. I'd just rather everybody just, just know where you're going, right? But no, when we talk about following uh, you know, can we say this? And here's the deal. If you and I are not modeling what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to build followers of Christ, then you and I can't expect uh, others to follow us. So let me kind of illustrate that a little bit for you. So at Crossroads, here's what we say. Our, our church's mission or purpose is just simply, uh, plainly, being and building disciples. That's it. That's what we say. So our pastor oftentimes will get up on the stage and he'll say, all right, what's our purpose? And often the whole congregation would say, being and building. Okay. So really simple. This is nothing more. These two things are, are, are nothing more than coming right out of two great statements in the Bible. And I'm giving you a little hint with the word great. Okay. All right. So you all are church leaders. So... What do you think the first great is? Great commandment. Great commandment. That's right. The great commandment, which means that this one is the great what? Commission. So they're both C O M M. Sorry about my handwriting. So great commandment, great commission. When we talk about the great commandment, what's the great commandment say? Love God, love others. Yeah, basically, you know, Jesus said to them, uh, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind." This is the first great commandment. Seconds like it to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So that's found in Matthew 22, 37, 39. So we take the great commandment. Take the great commandment. Boil it down with one word. What is it? It is love. Plain and simple. It is love, right? Love. If we were to love, who in the, in the great commandment are we supposed to love? Okay, obviously God, right? There's three, by the way. Three categories. God, self, and others, right? So here's what we say. We say that when you are being a disciple, that you are in the right love relationship with God, self, and others. Okay? And so, you know, we'll just often maybe say, uh, if you're in one of my small groups, I might just often say, hey, how's your being going this week? You know, what am I asking? I'm asking, how, how's your love relationships going? Anything com in conflict with some other folks? Uh, you, you good with God? How about yourself? You know, you, you thinking accurately about who you are and, 
in Christ and your identity. That's right. Okay, so that's that's the great commandment. Great commission, we've already said it, right? We said that the great commission, basically one idea or one word, is to make disciples, right? We said that there is also three parts to that. It is going, it is baptizing, and it is teaching. And so when we talk about leading self, when the pastor, disciple-making pastor, leads self first, then the question has to be is, how is the disciple-making pastor doing in his being? And how is he also doing in his building? It is both. It is not one without the other. So when we think about that, it kind of leads us to just another thought-provoking question. How can you be a better model of what a disciple is, is, and what a disciple does? All right? How can you be a better model for that? So you have to lead the way on that. So... So, first one is that uh, we lead toward mission. Second one is that we lead uh, ourselves first. Third one, priority, is that we lead the organization. We actually lead the organization. Now, I say organization. I have to be honest, I don't like that word. Uh, it sounds kind of like a business model. So, we, just so that we all understand when I say organization, we're talking church. We lead the church. Our organization is the church. Now, you think about what Jesus, uh, when he, he, again, he's our model, right? Think about Jesus when he started his church. He told Peter, I'm going to build my church. So when he started his church. Okay, so did he do a mass mail out? <laughs> no. Did he go out there and uh, did he have a website? Did he have a blog? Did he have a podcast? Did he have any followers? Did he have a weekend church service? I mean, like, you think about... The things that Jesus, Jesus didn't have any of those things, right? He had nothing, he didn't even have buildings, right? But he led that organization, he led his church so well that we are all gathered here for these last few days talking about it 2,019 years later. So that's pretty significant right there. That's good leadership. That is a good example of leading the movement. It has become the greatest and largest movement in all of history. Now, that didn't happen by accident. It did not happen by accident. And so uh, he, he helped untrained seekers become fully trained develop, uh, followers of, of, of Christ, of himself. And he did it. He worked it to perfection. So, so what does he say to us in John 20, 21? As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Anybody know the context of when Jesus said this? John 20, towards the end of the gospel. Only 21 chapters of John. Not quite there, just before that. This is when he appeared to his disciples as they're hunkered down with their tails between their legs in the upper room. They're all there, they're hiding, the door is locked. And it says that all of a sudden Jesus appeared. Okay, so he just shows up in the room, right? And the very first thing he says to them, because I think I'd be, if I was Peter or James or any of those guys, I think I'd be freaking out just a little bit, right? Because it's just a few days ago, I saw this guy killed. Now he's standing right here in front of me. So the first thing he says, which is right here before this, what these three dots represent, the first thing he says is peace be unto you. Okay? He says, be peaceful. Be at rest. Relax, basically. And then he says, I think it's just interesting. The first thing he says to them after his resurrection is, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And this kind of goes back to his original plan and original uh, thing that he 
He intended from the very beginning. So, um, so Jesus, uh, we'll get to this in just a second. So Jesus, you know, he had basically two jobs. Uh, he, he, um, he, 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 he's, he planned redemption. He accomplished redemption for us all. And, and he also started his movement or his church. And when you and I think about um, the pastor's job of leading the organization, we have the job of, 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 of at least three things, okay? You can do this in a different color. We have the job of at least three things. So, you know, you're not going to see that, are you? There we go. When we think about the church, the pastor's job, so what does he do? He feeds the congregation, right? He feeds the congregation. He shepherds the congregation, the people, and he leads the people. And I think a lot of times as pastors, what we do well is, is a lot of times we do this part well. Like, man, a lot of our focus as pastors is on feeding, right? Like, we think a lot about our sermons. We think a lot about the message. And in fact, our entire self-worth sometimes on a weekend can be determined how many people come and say, great message, pastor, right? We can, we can either go home encouraged or discouraged sometimes on how the feeding went, right? And then shepherding, man, we just, I mean, we're pastors because we love people. We love to help them. We love to care for them. We love to disciple them and encourage them in their walk and help them grow spiritually, lead people to Jesus and so forth. But a lot of times it's in our leadership that is waning and is lacking. So we do two out of three oftentimes pretty well. I think the evidence of this comes back to, basically, to be honest with you, when I met met our our lead pastor, Ken, uh, who started Impact Discipleship Ministries. Um, I was in, actually, I was in a class that he was teaching. Uh, I was working on my Master's of Divinity, and and, uh, I don't know if he stood up and he said this. His first day of class, there's probably about 40 students in there, and he said, everybody get out a piece of paper, and he says, I want you to write down the mission and purpose of the church. And I guess about out of, two, out of 40 or so people, two students were the ones who said, make disciples. And so when you think, of, now that was years ago, y'all. Okay, I mean, I've been at Cross for a long time. I mean, that was about 17, 18 years ago. Think about today. Is the next generation of young pastors, young church leaders, those who are going to take the church into the future, do they know the mission of the church? So are we, are we doing this well? A disciple-making pastor leads the organization. And so how do we do that? Real quick. So first of all, the, lead, the disciple-making pastor makes the target very clear. Like you've got to communicate the target. You've got to let everybody know what the target is. Second thing is, is you have to know, I'm sorry, so the target is more on the target. The, the target is, is, is the character and conduct of Christ. It's who Jesus is. What did Jesus do? That's what we got to keep in front of them. Uh, the next thing that we've got to keep in front of them is this idea of keeping the strategy of focus. We have got to stay focused on the strategy of moving, like the disconnected to become connected, the untrained to become fully trained, those who are not devoted followers of Jesus to become devoted followers of Jesus. So we've got to keep the focus on the strategy. And the next thing we have to do is we have to encourage participation in the right environments. You know, it, if, it goes back to leading self well. If we aren't leading um, disciple-making efforts in environments by our, by our involvement, 
then why would anyone else follow us, right? I heard this yesterday. Uh, they said it in the main session. I actually texted to my children I showed you earlier because they're having babies now, that children will, may not always listen to their parents, but they will always imitate their parents, okay? And, and, and then that's the point, is that we have to encourage the right environments. Now, not just, not just categorically, but our, even by our involvement. So I just transitioned out of small group leadership, and I'm driving our, I'm, I'm now leading our church's strategy, uh, disciple-making and all our, our demographics. Um, but as a small groups pastor, as I would meet with other small groups pastors, and as I would listen to small groups blogs, and I would listen to all these things out there, small groups, here's a consistent thing I would hear over and over and over, is that as a small groups pastor, one of the things that you have to do is make sure that your lead pastor is on board with small groups. You know, and they would say that he's got to be the champion of it for it to really fly and work. And I would say, hands down, absolutely. But I, I mean, how many elite pastors are leading small groups or even in one? Right. And so, you know, I had the blessing because our pastor is a champion for small groups. It made my job incredibly easy as a small groups pastor. Because he would say on stage, he would say, we believe at Crossroads, everybody needs to be in a, and the whole audience would say, in a small group, you know. And so we just tried to, we just developed that culture. But he was also a small group leader. And he was also in those small groups and multiplying those small groups. And so, so the, the disciple-making pastor encourages participation in the right environments. And here's that fourth thing, is that the pastor prioritizes the development of uh, disciple-making leaders. That is something we've got to focus on, is developing leaders. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. But to that point, it takes me to this verse, Jeremiah 3.15. Well, actually, let me go there first and I'll come back. Jeremiah 3.15, it says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So God's going to give shepherds who will lead with knowledge and understanding. What we need are shepherds that have the right heart, who lead with the right knowledge and the right understanding. And when we have the right heart, with the right knowledge, the right understanding, what are we going to get? Right results. We're going to get the right results, exactly. And so that kind of just brings us back to this question. Are they going to go back? Maybe not. Which of the four ways a pastor leads an organization needs your energy and focus? Like, is it the target? Do you need to figure out and clearly define the target? Do you need to focus more on the strategy? Do you need to encourage more participation in the right environments? Do you need to prioritize the development of disciple-making leaders? Which one do you really need to focus on as uh, a potential in wanting to become a disciple-making pastor? So, so, you lead the organization. Next thing, next priority is that a disciple-making pastor leads leaders. So the Jeremiah 3.15 verse uh, is really a verse that um, kind of captures and, 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 and kind of clearly communicates uh, to our congregation well, something we use to develop leaders. We call it 3.15 leader training. <laughs> so this is uh, just an example of the resource that we use. It's called 3.15. We, it's known in our, our culture as 3.15. And uh, really all it is is taking Jeremiah 3.15, each one of those things, heart of God, what is it? You're going to have the shepherd after God's heart. What is the heart of God? What's the mission? It's that. It's the mission. Um, so right knowledge, what does you need to know? Well, you need to know how to live the life. In other words, you need to follow the model, live the character of Christ. You also need to know how to lead others. Okay, that's the strategy part. And then you also need to learn how to leverage your influence in terms of leading leaders. 
and the right knowledge is just understanding that without, without knowing that we all share the same vision, the same passion, and the same strategy, this thing's not going to fly. And so that's what this works through and talks. This is really the DNA communicator for our leadership. And so what we want to do is take our DNA and just infuse it into those that we're trying to train up as leaders. And, uh, and so that's what 315 is, right? And so when we talk about a disciple-making pastor leads leaders, yeah, man. I don't mean to interrupt. Are you fine? Yeah. So is there ever a concern when doing that? And the reason why I ask is because it, it comes across as if it may steal some of the authenticity from the individual that you're fusing into. And I say that if you look at it from the standpoint of one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. Like you had Agent Smith jamming his hand in the people and creating replications of himself. And what that did was it took away the identity of that original person until the one came and revealed himself. And so what I'm saying is, is that as you are doing that, how do you maintain that person's identity? Because I don't have a crack story that will resonate with someone else. I don't have a gangbang story that will resonate with somebody else. But the person who I disciple will have those two, and they can take the message of Jesus and it resonates. I believe so. So I think the question uh, is just to restate it is, is just how do you how do you uh, take somebody through our leadership development process and they, they keep who they are? Correct. And that's kind of so, you know, maybe the wrong choice of words on my end. No, it's, it's what it is, is it's the strategies of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus, his strategy and the way he did it. That's all this is. And 315 is just a verse that kind of overlays it all. And so really, yeah, it's, it's your story. You get to keep all that because that's who you are. That's God's story of grace in your life. And then obviously your story connects to others that maybe my story doesn't connect to. So you're going to reach and connect to somebody that I won't connect to and reach. And you'll be able to disciple them as a result of that. But really, to be honest, it's, it's not just so much crossroadsy, so to speak, as it is Jesus. It's all about the methods and the model of Jesus. Plain and simple. And so that's kind of what we try to infuse, if that's the right word. So, yeah, great question. Appreciate that. So when we think about this the idea of leading leaders, everybody's heard that probably that, that, that phrase from John Maxwell. It's kind of famous saying, everything rises and falls what? Leadership. On leadership, right? And so this is so true, and I believe that Jesus knew that. Uh, not uh, from John Maxwell's point of view, because <laughs> I don't want to put it there. But, but he, I mean... He, I'm sure that he, he had to pour into these guys. Otherwise, the movement stops the minute he leaves earth. It's over. And so he poured into these guys. And so that takes us to a, a great scripture. Let me go there next. Is Mark 3.14. It says that he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and then he might send them out to preach. So I'm just curious. Can you see, can you see process in this verse? I really, I see a three-step process. All right, so let's try to identify them together. What, what do you think they are? What's the first step? He did. He called them to himself. He appointed them. And then, then what did he do? What's the second step? What's he name? He was with them. They hung out with him. They spent time with him. They, they went around with him, right? They taught him. He taught them that way, right? The word and how to worship him. Everything. How to you better know that before you go out. Yeah, Exactly. So what was the third thing he did? He sent them out, right? He sent them out. 
So what we see here is, is the way that he did is, is he, so here, Jesus made disciples and then he appointed leaders. And so that's what we have to focus on as well. That's why it goes back to disciple making. We think about disciple making is that, 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 that we often think, man, I need leaders. I need leaders. Anybody in the room need more leaders at your church? Right? I mean, anybody got plenty and you got all you need and you just got everything's clicking along just great. We all would say that we need more need leaders and we don't have enough. But here's the truth of the matter is, is that we all have what we need. We all have as many leaders as we can develop. So there's a process to that. Uh, but before I go to the process, it, it, some of you probably have heard this illustration analogy. The analogy and the illustration of the apple. You hold it, you have an apple. And you think, well, how many apples are in this apple? How many seeds are in that apple? How many trees can you get from that apple or that seed? So how many apples will you get from those trees? I mean, you could, from one apple, you can get a whole orchard, right? And so when you think about that and you think about how it applies to you and me saying, I need more leaders, we need more leaders. You have as many leaders as you can grow. And that's what we got to think about. And so how do we go about that process? Well, let me give you a couple steps. Just simple. Three steps for developing disciple leaders. The first one is just simply selection. If you're developing disciples, uh, then you all also eventually have all the potential leaders uh, that you could need or want. And so you have to select. You have to select. Um, we use the faithful, available, teachable uh, idea. Are they faithful? Are they showing up? Are they available? And are they humble? Are they teachable? And if you're seeing that, then you have potential leaders right in front of you. So start selecting well. We probably have all had the story. I could share several uh, how we didn't select well. You know, maybe somebody wanted just to be in our group or they asked to be discipled by you or by me. And and we see that, well, where are they today? We don't know. Maybe maybe we just didn't select well. And so selection is step one. Step two is preparation. Jesus prepared his leaders with three basic key ingredients. We've already talked about this from Jeremiah 3.15. He showed them the right motivation, which was the right heart. He gave them the right information, which is what we were saying just a, just a moment ago. And he also gave them the right application, right? It's really all of those things together. And uh, when we think about the participate the preparation phase, you select them, you begin to prepare them, and then as you prepare them and move them out to the third step being mobilization. When Jesus left the disciples to lead, they reproduced themselves. And so when you think about that, when you get those three things of the right heart, motivation, the right knowledge, uh, the information, the right understanding, the right application, then what you end up with is the right results. You get transformation out of the deal. And so that's what we got to focus on. Going back to Paul's statement at the beginning, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the truth of the matter is you will never have a leader problem if you are making disciples. It's part of the process. It is part of the process. So... That leads us to another kind of evaluative thought question. What could you do through your church with a pool of ready-to-go leaders? <laughs> like, what if your church was producing leaders to the point where you were ready to go? I mean, you just had... You, so, uh, in our last breakout, we are talking about small groups and that sort of thing. And, 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 and it's like, well, how do you start brand new small groups? 
What if you had a whole bunch of guys that were just ready to go and you got some people over here that need a small group and you said, hey, I got some people that need a small group. You come over and lead them. Hey, I got this leader who's wanting to lead a small group. Why don't y'all just join together? You know, what if you just had a pool? What could you do with a pool of leaders in your church available and ready to go? So that's the fourth priority. Let's go to priority number five. The making pastor leads with a plan. A plan. You ever heard the saying, plan your work, work your plan? You ever heard the saying, failing to plan is what? Planning to fail, okay? So we got to have a plan. Jesus did not make the greatest movement in all of history by winging it, all right? He had a plan. He was very intentional and very strategic in everything he did, and everything he did had purpose and meaning behind it. And isn't that what we love to preach about? Like, we love to take God's word and kind of say, hey, you know what really was going on here? You know, kind of get the nuances out of a text or something. We love that sort of thing because that is so true of Jesus. Like, here's an example of that. Mark chapter 4. Um, uh, in Mark chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus calming the storm, you know? And so Mark chapter 4 kind of starts off in that little section of Scripture there where it says, hey, he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, if you don't know the whole context of Mark, Mark chapter 4, what was on the other side? Anybody know? The demon of Gennesaret. Okay. He, 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 he cast out that demon. And then that man wanted to come back with Jesus to the other side, but Jesus said, no, you're going to stay here. Why? Because that man became a witness to the cities of Decapolis. And Decapolis is what? A group of ten cities. Why did Jesus go to the other side? It was a missions thing. Like he was going over to spread the gospel. But in the meantime, he's thinking, I'm fixing to teach these boys something. All right? I'm going to get them in a boat. I'm going to go to sleep. And they're going to get all scared. And I'm going to have an opportunity to teach them about their faith. Because guess what? I control the wind. So let's raise the storm. All right? Now let's calm it. Right? So that's what he, Do you see the purpose there? In other words, that's just one example, y'all. But Jesus did not wing anything. And so we talk about his mission. Uh, in Matthew 4.19, he said to them, follow me and I'll what? Make you fishers of men. Just make you fishers of men. Two things. Follow me. Fish for men. Look right here. Follow me. Fish for men. That's the deal. That's the mission. That was his mission. I'm convinced, probably like you, that, that when the disciples heard this right here, I don't think they really understood what that meant. I think they, they heard, follow me. And they were intrigued by that. Somebody showing interest in them. They weren't the cream of the crop. They were just common, ordinary men. And yet this rabbi is saying, follow me. You be my disciples. Yeah, I want to sign up for that. So this is what, I think this is what they've heard. But then you fast forward to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He stands on that hillside and he says, go, make disciples. Here's what I don't think happened. I don't think Peter looked at John and said, hey, man, what do you think he means by that? Like they knew what he meant because he just worked the whole plan. And his entire plan from the very beginning was that they would become this. That was the beginning. That was the, the deal from the, from the beginning. And so as a disciple-making pastor, disciple-making church leader, everybody needs to ask some questions. You need to ask, what is your plan? And how, or is, or yeah, how is your plan working? We all need to ask this question. What's our plan? How much time we got? Five minutes? All right, let's get through it then. So what is your plan, and is your plan plan working? So here's the deal. We say, well, I hope my plan is working. Hope's not a strategy. 
Okay, hope is not a strategy. You have to plan to do be something, and you have to plan to do something. And uh, that has to happen in every aspect of growth and development. So let's move on to the last point of the disciple-making pastor. The disciple-making pastor, he leads well. So let's work through here. This is all these slides. Follow fish. We just talked about all that. Evaluate where you are. Identify where it needs to be. Talking about how you develop a plan. Get some action steps together. And there's your question. Priority number six, disciple-making pastor leads well. Now, I'll just say this. Very simply, this will be a short point. Uh, we, we say lead well instead of saying finish well. Because I think all of us want to finish well. But sometimes we say, I just want to finish well. can actually lower the bar a little bit. To just be like, I want to make it to the end. Or to just be like, I don't want to have a moral failure. Or just to be like, you know, I don't want to blow it somewhere along the way. When we say leading well... It takes all of that in with it and includes accomplishing the mission. So we have to lead well. Scripture reference for that one as well is John 17, 4, where Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is right before his death. On the cross, he said those famous words. What were they? It is finished. What was? We said earlier he had a two-part plan. To accomplish redemption for mankind and to start a movement of multiplying disciples. A church. Isn't it interesting how a church is the same definition of a movement of multiplying disciples? But oftentimes that's not what it looks like in, in reality from day to day. So when we think about this, he says it is finished. He accomplished it. He tells his father, I've accomplished the work that you called me to do. And you and I can do the exact same thing, but we must purpose and plan to finish well by leading well. Unfortunately, many pastors don't lead well uh, for several reasons. One is distractions. We just get distracted. I'm not necessarily talking about your phones and the devices. I'm just talking about a new model, a new vision, a new idea. Um, so you got distractions. Uh, you also have discouragement. Many times pastors can be discouraged. I mean, it's, you know, you can have a great weekend and then everything go well, worship was awesome, the message went great, got great encouragement, affirmation after the message. And on your way home, all you can think about is who was not there. And then you can be all discouraged about that. So discouragement can set in many reasons in many ways. Derailment, the vision can get hijacked, and the next thing you know, you're like trying to figure out how do I get it back on track. And then, of course, the last thing could be disobedience, where, you know, I mean, unfortunately, sometimes sin enters the picture and, and it causes um, major problems. And so these are some reasons why we don't lead well. So as we wrap this up and think about the, the end here, well, here's a question for you. What needs to happen for you to become a disciple-making pastor? Uh, as we think about these six priorities, which one needs to apply to you? Let's kind of finish with this. Everybody, raise your hand in the direction of north. Point north. Everybody point north. All right, keep, keep your hands up. Everybody point north. Point north. Point north. All right, now look around the room. We're all going different directions. <laughs> North is that way. <laughs> it is that way. All right. The job of a disciple-making pastor is to always point north. And I'm talking about the mission. We've got to lead in the right direction. All right. Let me pray for us. We'll be done. You can hang out for some Q&A afterwards if you like. God, thanks so much for this mission that you've entrusted to us. 
Lord, I pray for myself as well as all in this room, really everyone who's at this conference, that we all could become a disciple-making leader and as some as pastors. Lord, that we might lead well. That we might own your mission and be good stewards of it. Not just for the people in the pew, but in us. And so I just pray, God, that you would move in such a way to lead us with your wisdom and with your heart and your passion for the mission that you gave us to do. Help us to be a disciple-making pastor and leader. God, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you very much. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out Winfield Bevan's ebook that we mentioned at the top of this episode. You can find it at discipleship.org/ebooks and look for Multiplied Disciples. Thanks for listening.